Psalm 46. And for the sake of time, I'll just read them as I come to them. And I'm sure this psalm has been used for devotionals uh, as long as this uh, prayer meeting has, has been held, has been used before. But I hope our minds, our pure minds, will be stirred up by way of remembrance. And uh, I realize this is an international call, but I trust that those of you who do not reside in the United States of America, you'll uh, forgive us for just focusing on the horrific events of 9-11 and seeking to remember them and learn lessons from them that God would have us to, to take away. Um, you probably, if you were old enough, and perhaps some on our call today are uh, 23 years of age or, or less, and you probably don't remember those events. You just are dependent upon stories and pictures and and uh, recollections and hearsay. But uh, those of us who were old enough certainly remember where we were, what we were doing when we were first uh, told to turn on the television. I remember turning it on and actually seeing live the second airliner to uh, hit the uh, the control the World Trade Center. Uh, that would have been the, the South Trade Center. Um, what different emotions came over me as I saw the smoke billowing and the inferno from the crash of uh, that second airliner. Uh, first of all, it was shock, and then it was fear. I feared that there were probably more tragedies impending, and there were two more that day at the Pentagon and then in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Thankfully, we haven't had any since then on our shores. That is no guarantee of tomorrow or the guarantee of, of God's pleasure with us. But after fear, there was outrage, there was anger, then there was profound sympathy for the victims and their families. And to begin with, we thought that the number would be in the tens of thousands. Uh, it turned out to be less than 3,000. That's still terrible. And then finally, there was fervent patriotism. I never saw such a show of patriotism and unity between uh, different political alignments for a long time. This past Thursday in our Christian school, here at Friendship, it's a smaller school, about 300 students, but most of those were in the auditorium to hear a testimony from a retired colonel in our church. His name is Steve Scheidner. Some of you may be aware of him, but uh, he was supposed to have flown that first plane that crashed into the North Trade Tower. In the last 30 minutes of of a window of opportunity, he was bumped by the senior pilot who did fly the plane and, and perished. Uh, Tom McGinnis was his name. That was Flight 11 of American Airlines. And so there's a documentary. You may want to jot this down, but there's a 15-minute documentary that might be appropriate to watch today, or you could get maybe some unsafe friends to watch it. Uh, it's called In My Seat, In My Seat. Hmm. A tremendous uh, documentary appropriate for the occasion. But as he spoke in chapel, he later expressed to me that he regretted that none of those young people, all of them younger than 20, of course, none of them had actually uh, seen those sites and were alive at the time. My thoughts turned to the fact that 
life got back to normal pretty quickly. And it wasn't a new normal. It was the old normal, the same godless, faithless, sensual, materialistic lifestyles that most Americans were guilty of on September the 10th. And I came to realize as never before that there's a carnal security. There's a lack of fear that does not mean the presence of faith. Yesterday I read from Job chapter 21 and verse 9, Job is referring to the wicked. He says, their houses are safe from fear. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. And oh, how carnally secure many people are that don't know the Lord. I mean, they have their vacation home at the beach or at the mountains. They have a good job. Their retirement is doing well. The stock market has been at all-time highs recently. They've either survived COVID or they're vaccinated, and they think they're good. But I'm here to remind us today as we pray that our only refuge is God. Our only refuge is God. He's our only security. And so we read there in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea? I like the psalmist's resolve. As just like he said in Psalm 118, verse 6, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The scene described here is about the worst possible scenario. The mountains being carried into the midst of the sea, the earth being removed, just like those surreal scenes we saw on September 11. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. It was the worst possible scenario we could have envisioned. But we can still make God our refuge and not fear. Verse five, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. Regardless of whether we're covenant theologians or dispensationalists, I think we can certainly see the church here. And uh, God is in the church. I think of what happened in the Old Testament in the time of Daniel with the three Hebrew children when they refused to bow down to the image that had been set up and they were thrown into the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Bible says that there was the form of the fourth, like the son of God with them, but only three men stepped out of the fire. That tells me that the form of the fourth, the Lord Jesus is still with us. He's still with his church when we are called upon to suffer. And lately, God has been convicting me that I do not have, I have not developed a theology of suffering. Maybe you have. Maybe you've been through the fiery furnace. I think we're headed for that here in America in ways that we can scarcely envision. I'm ashamed when I read of what others have endured under communism or Nazism. I've been taking time to read that lately. I remember what a Chinese pastor who had been in prison for 23 years said to some dear pastor friends of mine who were able to go over to China when things opened up a few years ago. And they asked him to characterize those 23 years of imprisonment and abuse. 
He's a very elderly, feeble man at this time. But he smiled and he said, those 23 years were my honeymoon with Jesus. My honeymoon with Jesus. I think he developed a theology of suffering. And I'm asking God to do that for me. I think we need that. Of course, the climatic verse is verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Unfortunately, that verse has been hijacked by some very popular devotional writers and teachers and forced to teach contemplative prayer. It's known as listening prayer. It's the idea that if we just get quiet enough and can get our minds in neutral, that we will be able to hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. That is sheer heresy. That is not what that verse is teaching. The Hebrew for still is rafa, which means to slacken, uh, to cease, to abate. What God is saying here is slow down and trust me. Be calm. Watch God work. I'll never be able to think of this verse without associating it very quickly. I'll say this with my first wife that I, who died with cystic fibrosis after her life was extended for 10 years with a lung transplant back in 1994. But when I first saw her crisis in 19, February of 1994, her oxygen saturation had dipped into the 50 percentiles and she did not realize what she was saying as I walked into her intensive care room. But she was saying over and over again, this verse, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. What was in her heart came out at that moment of crisis, and God used it to sustain her spirit. Verse 7 and verse 11 give the refrain of this song. It is a song. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Maybe your translation says the Lord of armies. The Lord of hosts is Lord of armies. Reminds us of what Elisha said to his servant and to God when the city of Dothan, where they were, was surrounded by the enemy, by the hosts of Syria. Elisha told his servant, fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And he asked the Lord to open the eyes of his servants to see those uh, forces of fire uh, surrounding the mountains. I'm reminded of what Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said, you and God make a majority in any situation. How true that is. But the God of Jacob is our refuge. Aren't you glad he, that the Holy Spirit directed David to say, Jacob? Think of Jacob and all he experienced, all his trials and sorrows, tricked by Laban, traumatized by his twin brother Esau, Humiliated by three of his sons, Simeon and Levi were instruments of cruelty. Judah shamed him. Grief stricken by the perception of the loss of both sons of his beloved wife, Rachel. Worried about starving to death during the famine. Despairing over Simeon, who is held in security as security in Egypt. Brought to the point where he finally said, all these things are against me when in actuality they were for him, if he'd seen them from God's standpoint. And so as we pray today, I hope we'll pray in confidence, leaning upon our God as our only refuge, not guilty of fear, but make sure it's true faith, 
sometimes people think they're praying in faith, but they have brash presumption. They have fleshly dogmatism. They're just trying to cultivate a positive mental attitude. But we need humble, childlike, God-given faith, waiting upon him, pleading his promises, saying to God, as David did, do as thou hast said, expecting him to do something thoroughly godlike to the glory of his name. So let's be shut up unto God. He alone is our refuge, and he alone is enough. Thank you.